I'm reading this morning from Galatians chapter 1. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Well, good morning. Let's pray, shall we, as we prepare to dig into the word together. Thank you, Lord, that your word is a gift to us. It is your revelation of reality, a reality that we could not see unless you gave it to us. So thank you for it, Lord, and may our eyes be open to see truth in a new way today. May you penetrate our hearts. May your spirit be at work in us. Do your work in us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ray Steadman relates this story. Two of the great leaders of the American Revolution in 1776 were the American-born Benjamin Franklin and the Englishman Thomas Paine. Once, as these two men were discussing their passionate belief in the concept of liberty, Franklin commented, Wherever liberty is, there is my country. Paine replied, Wherever liberty is not, there is my country. In other words, Paine was committed to going wherever there was oppression and injustice and seeking to bring liberty to those countries. And he did so, passionately working for liberty at great personal cost in England, America, and France. Well, the Apostle Paul is a lot like Thomas Paine. He has a passion to set people free, to set people free from dead religion, to set people free from legalism, to set people free from sin and its power and control and its penalty in their lives. So he wrote the book of Galatians because he was so deeply concerned about the Galatian churches, how they were turning from a faith in the living Christ to believing in Jesus plus <laughs> rules and regulations that they had to keep to try to somehow please God. 
As we saw last week, Paul had established the churches of Galatia, several churches in the area of what is today Turkey. And he taught them about their new life in Christ. And we saw how incredibly excited they were. They'd receive the gospel and they'd experience great freedom in their lives. Like many of us, we're set free by the gospel and we're excited at what Christ has done and we accept his forgiveness. And it's wonderful. But then other teachers had come in. And began to teach other things and began to say, if you really want to please God, you need to do certain things. And unfortunately, that happens to many of us as believers. We begin to think that if I really want to please God, I need to do certain things to grant, to get his favor. Jesus plus. You see, other teachers had come behind Paul after he left to these churches in Galatia and began teaching things essentially like this. Hey, you don't want to listen to Paul. He's not a real apostle anyway. You know, he didn't walk with Jesus uh, for those three, three and a half years he was on the earth. He's not a real apostle. And besides, you know, he's not that good a speaker. He's not very impressive to look at. He doesn't have all the training we have in the rhetoric of the Greek world. He's not professional professional enough. He's not really together like us. Therefore, you shouldn't listen to him. You should listen to us. And they came behind him, began to discount his ministry, and began to teach. You know, Paul says, just believe in Jesus, but you know what? That's too easy. You really need to add some things if you really want to please God. You really need to begin to fulfill some of the Jewish requirements. Jesus plus. If you really want to please God. And so they began to add rules to say, if you really want to please God, if you really want to be cleansed from sin, if you really want to have a clean conscience, there's certain things you must do. You see, it's a tendency for all of us to do that, isn't it? Because the gospel is so incredibly humbling. The gospel says only Jesus can deal with our sin. Only Jesus can really change us. And make us like himself. You cannot add a single thing to it. But our flesh wants to contribute somehow. We want to think we've earned it. We want to feel better about ourselves. And so we add to the gospel. It's so natural for us as human beings. And there's plenty of teachers out there who are glad to contribute to those misunderstandings. To teach Jesus plus. To teach us that there are certain things you must do if you really want to be cleansed from your sin. You need to go through certain motions. You need to confess regularly. You need to go to church regularly. You need to go through this rite or that rite or various things that you need to do if you really want to be right with Jesus. Or if you want him to really work in your life and be close to you and really have the kind of life he wants for you. There are certain things you must do do. Well, Paul will address some specifics in future chapters in the book of Galatia about what the true gospel is. But in this passage that we're looking at today, the end of chapter one, the Val just read, he defends his ministry because of the criticisms he's been getting from these false teachers. And as he does so, he describes his ministry in a way that gives us some really good guidelines to consider when we think about who should I listen to? 
What, what teachers should I be listening to? What books should I be reading? Who should I trust as a Bible teacher? They all claim to speak for God. There's many out there who claim to speak for God. But who should I really be listening to? And I think it's a good way to evaluate our own ministries. Many of you have teaching ministries in a small group Bible study in Sunday school in various contexts, BSF, elsewhere. And these guidelines are really good for evaluating our own lives. To say, am I being the kind of teacher that people should listen to or not? So I want to encourage you to use these guidelines to evaluate authors you read, books, Christian books, non-Christian books, teachers you hear, whether on the radio or TV or live, publicly, small group, Bible study, whatever. Use these guidelines to evaluate teachers you hear. Now, I got to admit, I realize this is pretty risky, right? I'm giving you guidelines to evaluate me. (laughs) I'm setting myself up, aren't I? (laughs) But you know what? Uh, I'm willing to do that because... I want my life in ministry to be what it needs to be. And if I need to be challenged in these things, I need it as well. So I'm willing to be evaluated by you. (laughs) So let's look at these four guidelines that we see in this passage through Paul's example as he's defending his ministry to these Galatian churches. In verse 10, he focuses on the first one, which is a teacher's motivation. You ought to evaluate a teacher's motivation. Listen to what he says in verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant or a slave of Christ. Now, I think the reason Paul says this is apparently he was being accused of being a man pleaser. Pleasing men rather than God. I would guess that the argument went something like this from these teachers who were trying to undermine his ministry. Paul, you aren't willing to speak truth because you just want the Gentiles on your side. And so that's why you're making the gospel too simple. That's why you're teaching Jesus only. When really, these other rules are really important for a good Christian, but you just want to please them and not get them upset by making them become Jewish as well. You don't want to offend them. You're afraid to tell them the truth. So notice how Paul responds. Verse 10, For am I now seeking the favor of men? Notice what he just said in the last two verses. Verses 8 and 9. We looked at it last week. Hey, if an angel from God or we or anybody else preaches you a different gospel, he is to be accursed. As we saw last week, you know, in modern vernacular, let him go to hell. I mean, he's using really strong words and he repeats it again in verse 9. And then he says, does it really sound like I'm trying to please men? (laughs) I'm not. I'm not worried about pleasing men. I'm worried about being a bondservant of the living God. Do I sound like a man pleaser? And in fact, later in the book, he actually challenges these false teachers. They're the Judaizers. He challenges their motivation. Over in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
Here's the reality, he says. Those guys are afraid of being persecuted by the Jews. So that's why they won't teach the pure gospel. Because the pure gospel is foolishness to man, isn't it? It's the cross alone. It's what Jesus does, and all I can do is receive it as a gift. And the world doesn't like to hear that. And the Jews had already persecuted Paul. Remember when we read last week, we saw how he was chased out of several churches by the Jews there. And so Paul's saying, no, these teachers are the ones who are afraid to tell the truth. They're the ones who are man-pleasers, not me. (laughs) Do I sound really like a man-pleaser? No. Paul could have done that if he were a man-pleaser, but instead he experienced incredible persecution because he knew the truth and he was committed to teaching it no matter what the cost. So this gives us a guideline for evaluating your teachers. What's their motivation? But that's easier said than done, right? I mean, motivation is a matter of the heart. So how do you evaluate someone's motivation? I think from Paul's life, we can see a couple of things that will help us. We can't fully see someone's motivation, but for one, you want to look at their actions. Are their actions confirming of the fact that they are wanting to please God, not men? Paul doesn't respond like a politician. He doesn't say things to try to please people. He teaches the truth and lets the cards fall where they may. He doesn't try to tickle ears. But he's willing to confront lies, he's willing to rebuke, he's willing to be hated for the gospel. His actions show that he's not a man-pleaser. He's willing to speak truth even if it's costly. And even if it's offensive to natural man who reacts to Jesus alone. It means I can't add anything to my salvation. Jesus plus sounds better to human ears because we want to be able to earn it. So Paul's not a man-pleaser, and his actions show that. Another way we can maybe tell if someone's motivation is pure or right is by paying attention to how they identify themselves, their self-identity. Notice how he describes himself. He says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ a bondservant of Christ. Notice how he views himself. He views himself as someone who has simply here been bought with a price. I'm owned by Christ. My life is wrapped up in his, and I do whatever he tells me to, no matter how it costs me, no matter what people think. That's how he views himself. He's not looking to promote himself or doing what he thought men would want him to do. Instead, he's simply humble but confident in God's leading. So when you're thinking about who am I listening to, as best as you can, think about what is their motivation? What am I seeing? Do they seem to be promoting themselves? You know, do they put a big picture of themselves on the book they wrote? Do they name their ministry after them and make it a big deal about what they're accomplishing in their ministry? Do they seem to be building an empire for themselves? Do they say things to only please men, does it seem? What's their identity, self-identity? So those are good questions to ask. Again, you may not be able to see fully, but they're good questions to ask. You at least have to question people's motives when things are so obviously centered on them. 
So look for the motivation of those you hear or read. Are they pleasing God or are they pleasing man? At least ask the question. The second guideline we see in Paul's example in in this passage is what's the content of their teaching? It's a very important question to ask when you're listening or reading someone. What's the content? Is it truly God's revelation? Is it God's truth? What he's revealed to us in the scriptures? Or is it their own opinions, their own thinking? You see, Paul in this passage argues that the gospel was taught him directly by Jesus. Listen to verse 11 and 12 again. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not from man. It's not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He argues that the gospel, and he goes on in the passage to argue that the gospel was taught directly by him. He says, hey, Jesus got a hold of me, transformed my life on the road to Damascus. And then he took me into the desert of Arabia. And he spent a number of years there. And then he said, I barely had contact with the apostles. I didn't learn the gospel from them. I learned it directly from Jesus. So when I did meet up with the apostles, all they could do is say, wow, you do know the truth. Praise God. You've learned it. You see, he learned it directly by a revelation from Jesus Christ. And that's his argument here, that though he was a latecomer as an apostle, he was a true apostle. An apostle, definition, is someone who was taught directly by Jesus. Paul was taught directly by Jesus, the truth, which was handed off to the apostles to teach us, to be written down so that we could know the truth as well. Jesus taught the apostles directly, including Paul, and anointed them to pass on the truth. And he said, this is the revelation from God that you have received. Now pass it on to others. The Holy Spirit will lead you, the apostles, into all the truth. So we can be confident that our New Testaments are from God. They are the revelation that we could not understand apart from his communication to us. Now in the early church, we see it in the Galatia here, but in those early years as the church was developing, there were... a lot of teachers going around and writings going around that claimed to be truth. So after a while, the early church said, wow, you know, we've got to to set some criteria here to determine what really is the revelation from God. We better have some guidelines to determine what belongs in the Scriptures and what doesn't. So they set two major criteria. One was... Did it come directly from an apostle or under an apostle's tutelage, under an apostle's guidance? Okay? So the books of the New Testament all were written by an apostle who walked with Jesus, John, Peter, James, Paul, or they were written by someone who was directly taught by an apostle. The book of Mark, for example, he walked with Peter. Peter taught him of what Jesus did, and so he wrote it down. The book of Luke and Acts, written by Luke, he was taught by Paul and the other apostles. He did research to determine what the truth was, and so we can be confident 
in our New Testaments that they are the revelation passed on from Jesus to the apostles and written down for us. So the early church said, okay, that's one criteria to determine whether something is true revelation from God. The second criteria is they looked at it, does it match up with what Jesus taught doctrinally? Does it fit? Is it accurate? And so they gave us our current New Testament through those guidelines so we can have confidence in our Bibles. Now, some of you maybe have heard arguments like this. Well, yeah, the original texts, what Paul, Peter, Matthew, John, what they wrote down is true. But we don't have the original text. We have a lot of copies that, and there were a lot of errors made, so you really can't trust what your Bible says. Well, let me argue with that, okay? Because you may have heard that argument. We do have some 10,000 manuscripts, early manuscripts of the New Testament in Greek and other languages. And of those 10,000 different manuscripts, there are some differences. But there's 95% agreement in those 10,000 texts, which is amazing. 95% agreement. Because there are some differences because people were so excited about the truth. They'd take the letter of Gal- to Galatians and they would write it out really fast and they'd copy it off and give it to someone else and they were writing fast. So at times they would make mistakes. They'd leave a word out or maybe leave a line out or whatever. So there are some differences in those 10,000 manuscripts. But 95% agreement. Of that 5%, there's 95 to 98% of the differences have no theological impact at all. None. They're, they're basically differences like, uh, is it a letter f- um, to the church of Galatia, uh, grace to you and peace from Jesus Christ our Lord or from Jesus Christ, period. You see, that's not a big difference. That's no difference in theology at all. So what I'm saying is you can trust the text of our New Testament. You can trust the translations we have as the revelation that God has passed on to us. That's amazing. That's wonderful. So Paul says, I received a revelation directly from Jesus. Well, let me ask this. So what if you hear someone say, today, God told me, I received a revelation directly from Jesus. He spoke to me. How should you respond to that? Like, the story I heard of the man who walked up to a woman he didn't know very well and said, God told me you're the woman I'm supposed to marry. She said, you know what? God didn't tell me that. (laughs) How do you determine if somebody who claims something like that, a revelation from God somehow, is truly from God or not? Whether they claim it's a word of prophecy, a direct revelation, or something like Muhammad, who in the 7th century, claimed that the angel Gabriel came to him and spoke to him and gave him the Quran, or Joseph Smith, who claimed that the angel Moroni came to him and spoke to him and therefore he received the Book of Mormon, or others that claim to have had a direct revelation somehow through an angel or through Jesus. How do we determine whether it's really from God or not? Well, let me just say, does it agree with Scripture? The clear revelation we've already received, theologically, does it agree? 
And does it agree with how God is already moving in your life and how you see him working in the world? Or is it disjunctive from what God has already been doing through his people, through the church? If it's not directly in line with Scripture, if there's any contradiction, or if it's disjunctive from what God has already been doing through the history of the church, then I would say don't accept it as from God. It's not a revelation from God. It's a lie. So reject it. So what should we look for in our Bible teachers today? Well, simply evaluate me and others that you hear. Are they teaching the New Testament, what the apostles said clearly, and the Old Testament? But what the apostles wrote is the New Testament based on the Old Testament. Are they teaching clearly and accurately what the apostles taught? Do they what we call exposit the word, simply means expose the truth that's there. Or do they teach their own opinions, their own ideas, things they've read in the news or whatever? Those are fine for illustrations, but what's the content of their teaching? Is it truly the word of God exposing what's in the word so that you can understand it clearly? You know, I really appreciate the way we do it here at Cole. I think it's, a, it's really good the way we run our growth groups. Because if you're in a growth group, what you do is you study the passage ahead of time that Rod or I or whomever will be preaching on. What that means is you have a chance to dig into the text ahead of time and let God speak to you and let you see what's there so you can see what's accurate. So when you hear us teach, you have a basis for evaluating our teaching. Is it really from the passage or not? Is it really what God's teaching or not? I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. I think that's important about what we do. So the second guideline to evaluate your teachers is content. Are they teaching the revelation given to us through Jesus and the apostles? Or are they teaching their own ideas? Third guideline is what's their character? What's their character? Now, as Paul goes on in this passage, he describes his life, how God took him as a persecutor of the church who hated Christians, came into his life, met him on the road to Damascus, and transformed his life so that he became a teacher of the gospel that agreed with what the apostles taught, that churches were established. God did an amazing work in his life. What a great guideline for us as we consider who we should be listening to. Paul's life was transformed by Jesus Christ. In fact, in verse 15 and 16, he says this, When God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, etc., etc. Notice he says, I'm a testimony of God's grace. I was going my own way and God turned me around and transformed my life. God's hand has clearly been on me. And now Jesus is revealing himself in me. Paul wasn't perfect. None of us are. But he's saying Jesus is being revealed more and more in Paul's life over time. You see, character matters. You should look for teachers and listen to teachers whom you see their lives over time being transformed by the hand of Jesus Christ. That he's working in their lives to break down their lives. You shouldn't follow or listen to someone who's immoral, arrogant, self-promoting, 
selfish? You see, is Jesus more and more evident in their lives? And, and when I think about this for my own life and what it looks like to have Jesus reveal himself more and more in our lives, I think often of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, where Paul writes this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be hung on to, to be held on to, to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, if Jesus is being revealed more and more in someone's life, more reality in their lives, what should you see? You should see a greater giving up of their own personal rights, a greater humility, a greater obedience to the the Father, a greater willingness to die for the sake of the gospel. Not a greater, more powerful, more controlling, more impressive ministry. No, those are not the people we should follow, but the people, rather, who exhibit more and more over time the humble life of Christ. You, like me, have probably known strong Bible teachers that were far smarter than I am, that knew the Scriptures far more than I do, and yet, in their ministries, they wouldn't take criticism, wouldn't take input, were unteachable. Ministry became more and more about them And these kind of people become more and more self-centered and self-promoting and they tend to go from church to church leaving behind broken churches and broken lives. I know several people like that. Yeah, but they're great teachers. Yeah, but character matters, Paul says. Character matters. You know, this suggests something. It suggests that you, if you really want to know someone's character, you need to kind of know them personally, right? So I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to the radio and the teachers that are there and on TV necessarily if their content is good and whatever, but, but he says, gosh, you need to invest yourself in people that you can know and you can evaluate their character. And you, I don't know how you do that without some kind of personal relationship or at least knowing quite a bit about them. So you know, how do they spend their money? How do they spend their time? What's their marriage like? You see, character matters, Paul says, by example. And then the fourth criteria he gives us is what's the result of their ministry? Just in this last verse, verse 24, he says, wow, starting in verse 23, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Verse 24, and they were glorifying God because of me. You see, the result of Paul's ministry says, look at the result. Who gets the glory? Paul said, it's not me. (laughs) Jesus has transformed my life. He took me. I was going the wrong direction. He, by His grace, turned me around. And you know what? Lives are being changed and the churches are being established. And who gets the glory? God does. What's the result of someone's ministry? That's a great guideline. Who gets the credit? 
Who gets the light shined on them? That's what it means to glorify, is to shine the light on somebody so you see the excellencies of who they are. Is the man in the center of things? Is he being glorified and exalted in a ministry? I think Paul would say there's a problem with that. You see, the result of somebody's ministry that you ought to follow is somebody who the light gets shined more and more on God and how great he is and how awesome he is and all the incredible things he's done in the world and in my life and in whose ever lives. And it's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Are others glorifying God because of my life? Because of what God's doing in my life? That's a good question to ask. Paul's challenge to us by his example in this passage is it does matter who you listen to. And content is important, but not just content. You need to ask, what's their motivation? What's their character? What's the result of their ministry? And they may be great speakers who can draw a huge crowd, but that's not proof that God's at work in their lives. These other things will help us evaluate who we should listen to. We should look for evidence of God working in and through them. And we should, to close with this, be like the Bereans. In Acts chapter 17, as Paul traveled around, the Jews of Thessalonica had persecuted him. And then he goes to Berea, and it says in verse 11 of chapter 17 of Acts, Now these, the Jews of Berea, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things, the things that Paul was teaching, were so. Therefore, many of them believed. Let us be good Bereans. People who eagerly receive the word. Wow, I want to hear it taught. But then examine the scripture and say, but are they true? Is this really from Jesus? Is this the revelation from Jesus or is it tainted somehow? Is it Jesus plus or is it simply the truth about Jesus? From Jesus, the revelation from him. And if it is, he says, they believed it. They embraced the truth. So may we be good Bereans. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth that you have communicated to us. Help us be wise, discerning people, knowing your truth and listening to those that you truly have your hand upon, that you've given us to teach us truth so our lives might be changed. And help us be good Bereans, wanting to be changed, eagerly receiving the truth, but examining daily from the word whether these things are true. Thank you for your love, your spirit in us, and for this time to be together. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.